Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hey, everyone. Are you aware that my next Women Physician Adventure Retreat is coming up March 11th through the 13th in Hilton Head at the Omni? And it is going to be such a great time. We are planning activities such as go-kart racing, maybe another zip planning event. There's a lot of opportunities in Hilton Head. So what the retreat will look like is a weekend full of mostly fun and connection, but also some really amazing lectures and group coaching opportunities for overcoming obstacles and limiting beliefs you have with the ultimate goal of you leaving with much more confidence in yourself as a physician and more boundaries so that you can really create exactly the career you want. And I know that seems like a lot to happen in one weekend, but trust me when I say that when we get together and are dedicated with over 48 hours of just focused on what we want and why, and we allow the right part of our brain to come out through fun, then it's incredible what can be done. So you can go and register at my website, which is consciousinmedicine.com forward slash retreat. I know that's a mouthful. So if you also click the link in the episode notes today, you can check that out and get registered. The weekend will include all the fun activities we do. So everything that is included in the price, as well as all the meals, including a themed dinner on Saturday. And it also will include CME. So if you have CME money that you want to spend, then this would qualify for that um, expense. So check out the website for more details. As always, reach out to me at kyates21 at gmail.com if you have questions. It is going to be such a blast and I cannot wait. If you are listening to this and it's before January 1st, then you can get registered for $500 off before the end of the year. So make sure to do that if you're if you know you're in and you want to pay even lower price. So check that out and then shoot me an email to let me know that you're in so that I cannot wait to get to know you in person. Have a great week. Asha Padmatabhan is a mom, full-time clinical anesthesiologist, and site director, and a podcaster, blogger, and a master certified physician coach. She learned early on the challenges working women physician moms face in trying to achieve their career aspirations and goals while making sure their families don't take second place. She has held several leadership positions at the state and national anesthesia society level and has been in leadership over 10 years. She coaches early and mid-career physicians to step into administrative and leadership roles by teaching them key components of effective leadership. Enjoy. Hi, Asha. Thank you for being here with me today. How are you? Wonderful. How are you, Kristen? It's so nice to see you. Yeah, you too. (laughs) You too, despite all the hiccups that I had before recording. Life, exactly. Mom, position mom life, right? Correct. (laughs) So I'm really excited to talk to you because we have a lot of overlapping passions and things we talk about and you're a fellow podcaster. So I always think it's fun to, to interview other podcasters. So let's just, you know, lay it off, lay it on me. What's, what's your, been your encounter with imposter syndrome like throughout your career? Sure. And that is such a great way to start because 
it's where I totally identify uh, as a physician leader because I was thrown into leadership really accidentally. I thought it was accidental. Now looking back, maybe it wasn't so accidental. And yet for years after I had that titled leadership, I never felt like I belonged. So really classic imposter syndrome where even five, six years into having a title position as a leader, when someone would introduce me to someone else as chief of X practice, it always gave me a jolt and I felt like I didn't belong. And who was this person they were talking about? So really have a very personal up and close relationship with imposter syndrome. That's awesome that you, I love that you're just so upfront about talking about it because I think the more that, especially women physicians men like talk about the fact that these things are going on in our brains, it makes it less shameful for others to who are feeling the same thoughts. Um, So was when you became, when you took over a leadership role or when that was appointed to you, was that really the first really big like imposter syndrome type of dialogue that was going on for you versus, you know, and being an attending physician right out of residency or, or whatnot? Yeah, no, I really started identifying that more in leadership. And part of that was because I had a pretty prolonged residency um, after med school. I did uh, four years of residency in England. And in that time, it was a very different type of residency where anesthesia residents were pretty much independent from their third month. And so I was used to doing things that probably would have been, if I had known what it was, would have been, a, you know, where I would have thought of imposter syndrome, but that wasn't even on the radar at that point. So when I came here to the US and went through residency, I already felt like I had a good background and was pretty confident in my skills. So when I became an attending, although there was that bit of, you know, now being responsible on my own, it didn't feel as overwhelming because I'd already done that in my previous residency. So really the imposter thoughts came when uh, it was a, a leadership position because I always I had those thoughts that I was just given this position. It wasn't that I was uh, chosen for it. You know, that, that was mm-hmm. ca- kind of the, the, the thoughts that, oh, I had it too easy. Mm, right, because the struggle means that it's worth it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Correct. And you don't think about the struggle. I mean, in my brain, it was I applied for this position that I didn't think I would get because I didn't have in my mind the necessary credentials. I got it. And so no one else must have wanted it. Yeah, you were like you were like the, like the default, like, OK, well, since no one else, I like, got in by default. Correct. Yeah, I think that's a common thought that we think um, as women. I bet that's, I bet that's really common. Um, one thing that I mentioned, I wonder if, if you, this resonates with you at all, is you mentioned that the imposter syndrome maybe wasn't a big deal for you as an attending because you had all this past experience. And I think that's really a common thing is that we link our ability to feel confident in something to our past experience doing it, even though what I, what I believe to be true now, and tell me what you think is that confidence in ourself really has nothing to do with our past experience. I think our comfort level, maybe with doing something or our, um, how easily it comes to us has, has something to do with past experience, but 
just because we've never done something before doesn't mean that we don't feel, we don't have to, we don't need to feel confident about it. So I think that's often a disconnect for doctors as a result of our medical training. Like you, you can't be great at doing surgery without doing a ton of surgeries when in fact, maybe your skills will increase over the years, but your confidence level can stay relatively, you know, neutral. That's an interesting way to think about it. I had not thought about comfort versus confidence. I think it's uh, clubbed together in my mind. If I'm comfortable doing something, then I must be confident. But I can see where you're saying that that's not necessarily true. Um, mm-hmm. You know, reputation and getting comfortable in something doesn't mean that you are naturally confident in that. So I can see where that's coming from. I'd never given that a thought, to be honest. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if in your case, the leadership thing was something that you hadn't, you hadn't, you couldn't look in your past and say, oh yeah, I've been a leader all this years. So maybe that's where the disconnect is. And I think for me, that was, that was really, I was constantly looking at my past and saying, well, I don't have enough experience in this to feel confident yet, but I think actually that goes, it's reversed. You know, if I felt confident that I could do any leadership role, then I wouldn't need the experience. I would gain experience and I would get better over time, but to be confident in yourself really, I think it fundamentally means that I know I can figure it out. And that's the difference, right? Thinking about, I can figure it out versus I should know how to do it. Yeah, that's interesting, right? So when it when in your because you've had years of leadership of leadership roles now. So did you do you remember looking back and thinking now I feel confident? Like was there a time that that something shifted for you? Truly, that only came with coaching, Mm -hmm. and that's only in the last couple of years, because until then I always felt like I would be found out. even though I had external validation in terms of people telling me I was doing a good job, even when I left that first role, I had lots of people who came and told me, you know, I changed the culture of the place. Mm-hmm. I was a good leader. Uh, internally, I still felt like because it came, because to me, it felt like it came too easy, then it wasn't uh, true. So I don't remember looking back and saying, I'm confident. That really came from coaching and looking back and being asked, okay, so what did you do? And all these, and you know, really people reaching out because over the years I'd mentored a lot of women physicians Mm -hmm. and walking into conferences and being told, oh, I I know you and I don't know this person, but Mm -hmm. I know about you. And I guess that's where it came from, not. I don't remember a specific day thinking, oh, I'm confident now because I have all this past experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think I love everything that you're saying. You bring up so many good points because the, and the first thing I'll say is you mentioned external validation because imposter syndrome, it, it requires this constant external validation, right? And this through our medical training is reinforced because we do need that. We need external validation of grades in medical school. And then in residency, we need the external validation of attendings telling us we're doing a good enough job. So we are trained to believe that that's what is required of us in order to feel like we're enough or feel like we're, we should be confident. But if we really sit down and think about it and the women I coach, this is comes up every single time, because if we ask ourselves, like, when is enough when are you going to have enough external validation? 
Like how many times does someone have to tell you that you're amazing at something? And the answer is, oh, it's never going to be enough if that was the thing I'm relying on. It's always going to be the internal validation because until you connect that and you realize like, yes, I am good at this, then it's never going to be enough. So that's one thing I love that you said that. And the other thing, which is so fascinating is it's so obvious to me and probably to everyone who's ever met you is that you are just a natural leader. That's like you, that's like just part of who you not like your natural innate ability. So, but because you, your belief is that you're only, you have to earn something, Mm -hmm. you brush that off to mean that, no, this isn't something I'm naturally good at. This is just something that I'm flying under the radar and people think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting away with it instead of wrecking, it's like taking a step back and realizing this is a gift. Like I was given this gift as part of my personality to be natural leader and leaning into that. So true. And what you say just so resonates with me because I just had a coaching call today where my coach was asking me, it was part of you know, me beating myself up about Mm -hmm. not getting the results I want and not really, I mean, I knew that I had done the work, uh, but that not being enough because I'm, I was looking for something more Mm. and that pattern of thought where we it's, you know, external, the external validation in this case being the results that I was hoping for versus internally being able to celebrate what I am and what I have done is a, not a natural thing. And I think that's part of when I coach other women physicians too, it's part of that comes across so clearly that yeah. uh, we may, not just the external validation, but the internal part about being confident, being that we have to be able to recognize what you just said. Uh, you know, you may, you may look at me and see a natural leader and I look at me and say, I've had to work for it, but maybe I didn't have to work for it as much as someone else did. And so is it really worth it? Right. Right. And I think that's true because, and what you said about, you know, not being enough, that's sneaky, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can, your brain are, and I do the same thing. That's constantly like almost every day I'm learning a new way that my brain is trying to tell me that I'm not enough. And it doesn't come across as obviously now because I've been working at it, but it's still there. And I think that's just like our human brain and that's what's going to happen. But I think, and that's the power of working with someone, right? Who can point that out to you and say, oh, this is just another way of you not thinking that you're enough. Um, And I think that's the hard part about being a physician is that so much of what we do, our job tells us that we need to rely on what's, what's happening externally. And it feels almost like cheating to not to just look not really pay attention to anything external and always go internal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, you know, the internal part is just so, so challenging because if someone had said to me, do you think you're not enough? I would vehemently deny that. Right. We would all, I mean, I always think I, I always think I am enough, but the way it sneaks in is in these mm. other examples where it's, it's there, but it's not there. You know, if, if, again, if someone had to ask me, no, I absolutely know that I'm enough and I'm, I'm good at what I do, but the standards that I hold myself to are probably higher than what I hold other people to. Mm, 
Yeah, I bet a lot of people can relate to that. And why do you think that is? Because I'm sure that comes across for with women that you coach and work with as well. Like people are always more harshly judging themselves instead of other people. How do you work through that with yourself and with others? I think really with myself and with others I coach, I try to think back. And if someone, this is from one of my really early coaches who had said to look back into childhood experiences and uh, I think a lot of it comes from that in mm. sometimes not feeling enough, although I would, again, vehemently deny that because I was, I mean, my parents always looked at me as someone who would always do the right thing. And I was never the sort of kid who got into trouble, but that in itself set expectations mm-hmm. for me, for myself, that I would continue to be the person who didn't, who always, you know, shaped up or did well. Um, and it felt like even though, you know, they were not putting the pressure on me, I put the pressure on myself. But at some point in my childhood, it must have, you know, where I felt like I had to be the, uh, behave in a certain way, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, looking back, I would never think that um, I was not, I mean, I was celebrated for who I was as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet maybe that put a lot of pressure that I put on myself going forward. Um, and then when I coach other women physicians, we look at, you know, past experiences where you felt like you were not enough. And there's a lot of correlation between that to how we now interpret events that happen to us. Mm-hmm. So I find like that that's an interesting thing to delve into. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and I've done similar work with myself as well. And I think interesting point you brought up because I bet a lot of women are raised like this. I think this is part of like how society raises girls, but we are praised very often for our good behavior and for um, listening to the rules and following the rules and paying attention and um, getting our work done and being neat and tidy, right? Like these are all things that I remember being praised for. Correct. And some of that stuff like is just my natural personality, but what happens, I think, and maybe what happened with you too, is that we have this natural tendency to behave in a certain way that is a, that feels good to us, but then people are praising it. So then we think that there's so much more focus on it. And there's mm-hmm. this, then there's this divide of, okay, this behavior is acceptable and anything less than that is not so then it becomes exaggerated. And that's when we get into perfectionism and people pleasing and mm-hmm. imposter syndrome. I know for me, that's how it is. It's like, okay, like I am praised because I'm productive. I'm, I have a, I have great willpower and whatever, all these other things. And then I use that against myself as an adult. Exactly. You put it absolutely beautifully. Exactly right. Do, do you have any tips on how, how to go about like unlearning those, maybe not, not changing who you are, but separating like your true personality and who you are innately from what society expects you to be. I think recognizing it in the beginning itself, I think that is the challenge for most of us is to recognize that, yes, these thoughts are, are present to, not just negate them and 
say, oh, I shouldn't feel like that, but to really recognize and accept them as part of yourself and then try to figure out how, um, you know, really to celebrate the good things every time that happens. And I know I struggle with, you know, keeping a gratitude journal or writing down three positive things today, but I do know that any day I do that, that really helps. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I really think the key is to recognize and accept that that's a part of yourself and where that came from and figuring out that maybe that served a purpose at specific times in your life, but maybe it's not serving so much as a, a purpose now but not to negate that. I mean, to celebrate that part of yourself that protected you in Mm. that period of time, but now maybe can be let go. Exactly. I really love that you said that because that's something that I think many of us miss. Like we get to a place where we're unhappy or burnt out and then we're so ready to judge. Like, why am I like this? Mm -hmm. And I think you said that so beautifully where like we got here because of those thoughts and because of that protective barrier. So let's, like pause and appreciate those things that got us here and then decide what can I leave behind as we move mm-hmm. forward? Yeah, yeah. 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 One of my coaches says the voice is in the head. So they were there, there for a reason. Yeah. And they protect you. Yeah. But maybe at some point it's, um, it's time to say, okay, now you don't have to protect me as much. Right. Right. But you only can know that through experience, right? Like Correct. we think about it in terms of like our primitive brain, like, yeah. okay, um, probably I'm not going to die if someone leaves me a bad review on Google, right? Yes. It feels like I might die, but I probably won't die. No. But it's it's experience. Like we only know that for sure if I have a bad, you know, bad review on Google and I didn't actually die. <laughs> yes. And also, and I think, I mean, you and I both know this as coaches, but before coaching, yeah. I wouldn't have recognized it. It would have been, oh, someone left me a bad review. It feels horrible. But then, you know, it just gets buried and then you move move on. But learning to recognize, I think, is what I really, you know, thank coaching for. Yeah, I agree with you. So I would love to hear a little bit about your transition because you do so many things, you know, as as a physician and and a blogger and a podcaster and a coach. What did that look like for you, if you don't mind kind of going through your timeline and maybe where you have managed to continue on despite maybe some peaks of self-doubt? Yeah, so I still, I, so I've, I work full time uh, in, as, a, as an anesthesiologist uh, and I have a leadership role there. And then I also have some ro- leadership roles in the state society and the anesthesia society. So that, the whole reason to get involved in that was because I felt like there were not many women involved Mm. and I wanted the voice to be heard. Uh, So that gives me that kind of fulfillment. So even in my day job, when I have some uh, periods of overwhelm that I'm doing all these other things, I still keep doing that because it's a little bit of uh, fulfillment in making sure that the woman's voice is heard. And for Mm -hmm. me, it's also, you know, a uh, woman of color and brown and an introvert. So that voice is heard. But then the next part where it really fulfills me is the coaching part, because for years I was mentoring women physicians because, and, and um, you may not know this part of the story, but 
for years, I, because I was so lonely in that position uh, in leadership, I started kind of bringing together networks of people because I felt like uh, if I had all these questions, others would too and doubts. Mm. And so I was doing this for a period of time. And then it just I just couldn't get it why there were not more women physicians getting into leadership roles. And until I, until I got coached and then realized, and a lot of this is because we feel like we have to give up something, you know, mm. when, we're kids, when our kids are little, we have to give them or give part of the time up. If you want to go into leadership, we have to, you know, somehow not uh, do it all, not follow our career ambitions if we want to, you know, do justice to our family. So coaching kind of showed me that this was one of the reasons why not many women were in leadership. And so that then became the passion project. Mm. So to answer your question, long story short, the job, provides clinical fulfillment the coaching gives me you know joy really Mm -hmm. and so that's why I do all of it together yeah I love that and I I relate to that because I think that I realize that um being a physician isn't gonna fulfill me in all the ways that I want to be fulfilled and I didn't know that that wasn't the job, you know, like, I mm-hmm. think we all kind of romanticize being an attending physician and think that, you know, when we'll be, we become an attending and then we'll feel like, yes, this is my destiny. I will be fulfilled in every way possible through being a physician. And I just don't think that's true for most of us. I, I mean, mm-hmm. certainly there are people like that who everything that they need comes from one thing, yeah. but I think that it's a little bit silly to assume that that's how we're all made. Mm-hmm. because and and I think that when we expect our jobs to fulfill us in ways that it just can't that's when we get into feeling like you know what's now what and resentment and then we just lose all passion and it loses its luster totally so I I can relate to yeah, that story for sure well thank you so much for being here do you mind letting my listeners know where they can find out more about you and if you have anything that they might be interested in checking in on Sure, sure. So I can be found on my website, which is www.theleadershiprx.com. And it's exactly as it's spelled, uh, theleadershiprx.com. And also on social media, or on my podcast, which is the Leadership Rx for Women Physicians. So it's everything, the same name. Perfect. Perfect. I love that. Well, it was great talking to you. Thank you, Christine. It was a pleasure talking to you. 